Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We hope you are having a fabulous week so far. We have a great episode for you today as we invited functional nutritionist Fran Dugville onto the podcast to discuss the link between stress, hormones, and the gut. Fran is known for the mantra, you deserve to be free to eat your favorite foods without pain and discomfort. But how do we make this possible? Let's dive into the chat and find out. Fran, welcome to the podcast. I want to start by asking you, how did you become a functional nutritionist? I found myself basically interested in health and nutrition. I mean, I really was from quite a young age, but from a different standpoint. I was into training and counting my macros and those kind of things in my late teens, early 20s, more from a, you know, aesthetic standpoint. And also I was doing competitive sailing at the time. So it was really focused around performance and aesthetics. And not so much health, if I'm honest. Mm. And then I wound up with chronic fatigue syndrome and basically went to a bunch of different doctors and was trying to get answers for myself. And nobody really had any answers in terms of why I was feeling so exhausted, why my skin was terrible, why I had this horrible brain fog, why I had all these gut issues. And I was just, so frustrated, so confused, and I just really had no idea what to do. So that just led me down a rabbit hole into researching a lot, basically listening to lots of podcasts, reading blogs, reading books, and just becoming really interested in what I could do for myself to basically recover my health and shift that focus away from the aesthetic side of things and more into that health focus. So that's what I did. And then I decided to study nutrition at that point, purely just for my own benefit. I had no intention of making it a career. Um, But by the time I finished my study, I was just so excited and so passionate about it. And I'd managed to have such huge impact on my own health that I was really excited to share that with other people. So that led me to starting my own business at that time and, um, you know, really being able to help other people recover their health by, you know, looking at their gut health, looking at all these foundational pieces, improving their diet, improving their sleep and, and all of those things um, to, yeah, really help them recover their health as well. So what are the common signs that you might have a gut imbalance? So when people are coming to you, what are they kind of coming to you with? A lot of different things. I think firstly, one of the main things, which seems a lot more obvious, is digestive symptoms. Mm. So that could be bloating. It might be constipation. So they're not having frequent bowel movements. It could be um, loose stools or diarrhea, and that often goes hand in hand with food sensitivities, so they're eating different foods and having these reactions and they don't really know what's actually causing that. Um, It can be things like heartburn and acid reflux. 
and, you know, belly pain typically after eating different foods as well. So they're sort of some of the more common ones. But I also find for most people that, you know, we're multidimensional, multi sort of faceted, and it's very rarely just the digestive symptoms Mm -hmm. that often goes hand in hand with perhaps, you know, low energy, brain fog, uh, you know, signs of hormonal imbalances as well, things like, um, you know, period pain, acne. So we often see a lot of these different symptoms going on um, and all of those can be related in some way or other to our gut health as well. Yeah, that's interesting that you mention um, hormonal acne and periods. Mm. So how does menstrual issues like that, how is that linked to your gut health? Well, a lot of different ways that that can be linked. I think one of the, the key ways to look at is basically um, I spoke before about, you know, constipation and not actually having adequate bowel movements. So basically we want to be having between one and, bowel, one and three bowel movements a day uh, and that's actually waste. You know, we're getting rid of waste, we're getting rid of toxins and that includes excess levels of, you know, old hormones basically that we're, you know, getting rid of in our poo essentially. So if we're not doing that, if we're not having adequate bowel movements, those, the waste products, the toxins, or those, you know, old hormones that are supposed to be being flushed out can actually be reabsorbed into our system, go back into circulation and throw off that hormonal balance essentially. So that's really typical with estrogen levels and that can often be associated with things like the heavy periods, period pain, hormonal acne. So that's one side of things. We also have a, um, basically there's a, you know, sort of role of the gut microbiome in modulating our hormonal balance as well. Um, So that's, you know, the estrobilome Mm. and there is that link there between hormonal balance and our gut microbiome. And there are many things beyond that as well. You know, what's going on in our gut and dysbiosis in the gut or, you know, imbalances and overgrowth of potentially inflammatory bacteria can impact our liver function as well, which also impacts our ability to detoxify hormones essentially. So there's many different layers to that, um, but they are very, very much connected. So is things like the pill and contraception, we know that affects our hormones, but does that affect our gut health too? Yeah, definitely. So there's there's lots of different ways that that can affect our, you know, our gut as well. And it affects our ability to absorb various nutrients and often leads to specific sort of nutrient deficiencies can definitely impact our gut health. And I do see, you know, over the long term, people who have been on contraception for mm. a long time can end up with, you know, various gut issues for for sure. So it does definitely increase your susceptibility to developing, you know, various gut issues over time, definitely. Mm, that's super interesting. I've actually never heard anyone speak about the link between hormones, the pill and the gut. But then again, I guess it's all linked, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. 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 I think we are so used to thinking of all of these things in isolation and that's sort Mm. of how we've been 
taught to think over time because that's just how the sort of conventional medical model works. And it is helpful in some ways in terms of if you actually need a, you know, a medication or something for a specific symptom, Mm. you know, you can go for that. But it's very rarely taking this root cause approach. And when we start to look at the root cause approach, we see that it's a lot of the same things that are, you know, interconnected and affecting each other. So, I mean, you just spoke about it then, I guess, that you you take a pill for, a, you know, whatever you might have gone to see the doctor about. And I think antibiotics is one of the ones quite known about where they say to you, you need to take, you know, probiotics at the end of antibiotics to help um, heal all of that system. Is that the same with the pill and with some of the other medications? Like how do you start counteracting some of the medications and what has happened within the gut? Yes, with the antibiotics, for sure, you want to be looking at repopulating that gut microbiome. Mm. And with the pill, definitely, it's looking at the gut microbiome and then also looking, you know, I mentioned nutritional deficiencies, for example. It's a really good idea to then go and have some testing done and look at your, you know, status of various nutrients like B12 and zinc, for example, and figuring out whether you actually need to, you know, replenish those. And sometimes a nutrient-dense diet is going to be enough for that. Sometimes um, you might need specific supplementation, for example, to address that. So there's kind of those pieces. And it, it really depends on on what it is because mm. there are so many medications that can have so many different effects, you know, on our body. So it's kind of unique to each of those. But, um, you know, another big one is proton pump inhibitors um, for, you know, acid reflux and heartburn. A lot of people wind up on those for a really long time as well. So again, that's going to be looking at nutrient status, but also improving your ability to actually digest your food. So things like supporting your stomach acid levels, supporting digestive enzyme, you know, output and those kind of things. So it does really depend on on what it is, but that's sort of the specifics. I think generally speaking with any of these things, looking at these foundational mm. pieces of nutrition in terms of eating enough prote- protein, eating a variety of protein sources to get the, that, you know, the quality protein, but also the different nutrients that, you know, those varied protein sources have to offer. Also things like getting that good diversity of plant foods, for example. So instead of just looking at probiotics, which can be great, getting that diversity of plant foods, we know that has a massive impact on the gut microbiome. So it doesn't all have to be about supplements and they do have their time and, Mm. you know, there's a time and a place, but just looking at these foundational pieces as well, drinking enough water, you know, managing stress, all of these pieces have a huge impact and are definitely sort of areas that you want to look at, um, you know, regardless, but particularly if you have been on some form of medication long-term, just in terms of rebuilding and sort of replenishing your health. Stress is an interesting one that you just mentioned there. Um, and it's one of these burning questions that I've always had. So stress obviously wreaks havoc on the body. Um, and I think, We've up until, I'd like to say COVID's changed a little bit, but up until COVID, it was almost like a badge of honour to be stressed. You know, I, I work so many hours, I'm out all night and, you know, I've got all of this stuff going on. I've got, I've got 
you know, I've got to go and see friends. I've got to, and you live in this world of stress. And it was, as I said, it was almost like a badge of honor. And I think COVID has helped strip that back a little bit and reprioritize people's life. But how does stress play into gut health? Um, and, you know, what kind of, so removing stress, you know, what kind of improvement can we see in just starting to like tackle one particular area? For sure. And I'm, I'm really glad you said that, Clara. I think that is so important to talk about. And I, I still think, you know, even post-COVID, it's still mm. such a badge of honour. And, you know, we were talking about this before we hit record, <laughs> Grace, like that just need to be productive all the time mm-hmm. and multitasking and, you know, we're on one screen and on another at the same time. And, you know, I, I know for me, you know, I had been sick recently and, mm even when I was, you know, sick and could have done with a day in bed, I'm like running around cleaning the house, doing all the things. So I think this is so, so common. And so many of us live in this state a lot of the time, and it really doesn't serve us in, in so many ways. So specifically when it comes to our ability to digest our food, absorb those nutrients and, you know, basically move away from having digestive symptoms, it's really, really important that we look at this piece. Um, So in particular with stress, how our digestive system or, you know, body over overall works is when we look at our body's sort of stress response system or our autonomic nervous system, it essentially has two modes. So we've got our um, fight or flight mode, our, you know, sympathetic mode, and we've got our rest and digest mode. So in order to actually digest our food, we need to be in that rest and digest mode. That's where our digestive system is working well. It's also where our reproductive system is working its best as well. So we basically need to feel safe and calm and relaxed Mm -hmm. and rested to digest our food properly and also, as I said, for our, you know, reproductive system to be working well, you know, hormonal balance, all of those things to be working well. The the challenge is that because of, you know, the way we live our lives, sitting in our computers a lot of the time for many of us, you mm-hmm. know, running around with kids, social media, you know, lots of different pressures, it means that so many of us spend a lot of our time in that fight or flight state instead of that rest and digest state, which means that when we're sitting down to eat our meals, Mm. even if you are stepping away from your computer, you might still be, you know, scrolling through Instagram, looking at everyone's Europe photos, feeling bad (laughs) about yourself. Don't remind me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, um, checking your emails while you're eating. So even though you think you're taking Mm. that little bit of time out, or you might just be sitting, you know, sitting at your desk, multitasking, working. Most likely you are in that, you know, stressed out state. And even though you're you're sitting down, you may not be aware that you are stressed. You're in that stressed out state, which is when we're designed to be, you know, activated, pumping that um, mm. blood around the body to our vital organs, heart, lungs, those kind of things. It's kind of that mode to help us, you know, run away from the tiger in our evolution. So 
we want to be in that state some of the time. It's helpful Mm. and it has its purpose, but we don't want to be staying there. So what we want to do is, you know, as often as possible, shift into that rest and digest state. Mm. Um, and there's there's different ways that we can do that, specifically around meal times. You know, getting away from your computer, even if it's just 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever you can do, putting your phone away, taking a couple of deep breaths, which can help, you know, shift you into that calm state. And then just slowly and mindfully chewing your food, you know, eating slowly, chewing each mouthful 20 to 30 times and just Mm. focusing just on your meal, you know, enjoying that moment, um, that can have a huge impact. So it's meal by meal, what you do really helps. Um, And then also just day by day, like what stress management practices do you have in your routine? It might be, you know, going for a walk in the mornings. That's what I like to do every morning. It might be, you know, meditating, journaling, you know, yoga, also exercise as well. But we want, you know, exercise can help um, sort of regulate that nervous system. But we also want things that are, you know, calming, bringing you down, helping to relax you as well. So it's those daily routines and practices and then also how you're eating each meal as well that really has a huge impact, you know, on this and therefore, you know, helps improve your your digestion and reduce a lot of those symptoms that we often experience. It's literally so simple what you're saying, like just eat your meal away from your computer. But I know I'll probably eat my lunch next to my computer later today. (laughs) And I feel terrible saying that. And I know it's not the right thing to do. Mm. But me and, and a lot of my friends too, we're just we don't want to be busy. And it's a conversation in my group chat at the moment, like how can we strip away a lot of the Mm -hmm. crap in our lives? But it's just like, it's this constant pressure to like almost keep up with the Joneses sometimes. FOMO too. The fear of missing out that we're constantly, as you said, we're constantly engaged, but you're right, Grace, we need to, we need to set practices. And I think it's the work, you know, you're given a, a certain set of time to eat your lunch at work which is time that you are allowed to be away from your desk. You don't have to answer emails. You don't have to do it. Take it. Like I think we're all in this habit of not taking it. I think we need to, you know, not as not enforce it as a workplace, but we do need to encourage those mm. behaviours of going away, doing something for half an hour, eating your lunch, sitting down, going out into the sun, you know, or us, a lot of us don't get that good grip vitamin D either like there's all of these small habits that we can just change that would make a huge difference it's grace here and I want to quickly interrupt the episode because I have a very important question to ask you have you been struggling with gas bloating constipation or diarrhea do you struggle with low immunity bad skin or breakouts moodiness and irritability if you're listening to this and nodding yes to any of these questions your gut could be the culprit Did you know significant changes in gut health can occur just three days after making a dietary change? And it takes 21 days for a healthy gut to create a new lining. That's why we've created our new 21-day gut rebalance program. Learn to use food to heal your body and boost your health. Early bird special now on. Sign up and save 35% off today. Now let's get back into the episode. So one of the things you just mentioned there is your nervous system. So how does the digestive system and the nervous system work together? 
So I guess our nervous system just has so much influence over Mm. all of our bodies processes really but particularly with that um i guess that that main sort of way is that uh you know sympathetic or fight or flight state and the parasympathetic or the rest and digest um Mm. so it really is that connection between the brain and the gut so that gut brain axis um so the main sort of root for that is the the vagus nerve Mm. and you may have seen that's you know sort of a growing kind of trend at the moment yeah yeah surprisingly i think a lot of these things like the vagus nerve and blood sugar mm. regulation and these kind of things that have been really boring to a lot of people for a very long time and no one's paid them any attention are starting to get more attention because they actually work and i think people are seeing the impact that these you know i guess supposedly boring things can actually have mm. on our health so that gut brain connection is, you know, kind of what I was saying before those tools in terms of stress management and those kind of things. We want to sort of strengthen and challenge that gut brain connection or that, you know, mm. vagal turn, uh, vagal tone, sorry, um, in specific ways. And then we also want to calm our, you know, nervous system in specific ways. So in terms of like, I guess, you know, pressure or stress testing the body. There are things like, you know, the cold exposure that people are doing and things Mm. like, you know, that more intensive style of breath work. Um, Lots of things that can sort of, you know, um, kind of stress test, you know, pressure test the body, put us under that pressure and help us adapt to that over time. Um, And then, as I mentioned, the things that, you know, bring us down, like the more calming breathing exercises, um, meditation, even things like singing and chanting and all of these kind of different practices. So um, it's really, I guess, taking that, you know, root cause approach to gut issues and, and digestive symptoms when stress is a component, which, you know, I think for many of us it is. So, yeah, it's, it's looking at, you know, how the brain is is communicating with the gut via that, um, you know, gut-brain connection and the vagus nerve. Um, and it's definitely a big, you know, factor. There's, there's a lot of things like gut-directed hypnotherapy that there's, you know, research around that people are actually able to see impacts on things like, you know, digestive symptoms, basically simply just by doing a specific form of meditation. So it definitely works. If that's actually what's causing your gut issues or if that's playing a role in your gut issues, obviously if your gut issues don't have anything to do with stress, then that's not necessarily going to be a factor for you. So one of the symptoms of gut issues is bloating. I feel like everywhere I go, I'm bloated, I'm bloated, I have dairy, I have gluten, it's making me bloated. But is there simple ways to remove bloating from the body or is it a long-term fix? I think it's both and it definitely depends. So some of the sort of foundational pieces, which are some of the things that I, you know, have mentioned can have a massive impact. And at the same time, they're not things that you do once and fix your problem. They're things that you have to repeat time and time again. (laughs) So um, one of those is that mindful eating, chewing your food well, 
I know it's annoying because it seems much easier. People would much rather take a supplement and, you know, then just rush through their lunch times and not take that time out. But chewing thoroughly, eating mindfully, getting into that relaxed state by taking some deep breaths and sitting down and enjoying your meals, that can have a massive impact on bloating. Um, so that's that's one piece. Uh, also just movement in general. So, um, you know, 30 minutes of brisk walking every day and also just getting up and moving around during your day as opposed to just sitting at your desk all day long. So maybe it's going and getting yourself a coffee, getting yourself a cup of tea, you know, going for a walk around the block, just breaking up your day and and moving, which is, you know, bringing blood flow to your digestive system and just kickstarting that, you know, peristalsis or that movement of, you know, food and, and things through your digestive tract. They're sort of two of the main pieces. There are various other things as well that are, you know, I guess more uh, targeted things like digestive bitters that can help or even fermented foods and these sort of bitter and sour things that can sort of stimulate our digestive function as well. Um, So they're kind of some of the main sort of things that you can do on a regular basis and also that stress piece if that is a factor for you. Other tools include um, abdominal massage or just belly massage. You can look up how to do that. That's really effective for um, bloating and constipation, particularly if you went out and you had a big dinner or something and you're like, oh, what have I done? I need to fix this ASAP. (laughs) Um, Also warm beverages, whether that's... Whether that's, you know, peppermint tea, um, lemon and ginger tea, those kind of things can be really great as well. Um, And then longer term, if you've kind of done those things and you're still struggling with bloating, that's when I'd be suggesting that you might need to do some deeper digging to figure out what's going on because usually those sort of pieces that I mentioned have an impact and we need to look at those regardless But in some cases, there is something deeper going on. It could be um, SIBO, for example, or some sort of, you know, gut issue or or infection or something like that. And if that's the case, you know, your 30-minute brisk walk and mindful eating is is just not going to cut it. And you're going to need to specifically address that root cause in order to actually overcome that bloating. So it really depends on on what's driving it for you and sort of taking that personalised approach. So I feel like I get bloated more than my partner does. Can like women have more gut issues than men? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of different reasons for that. Stress is a big one. So generally, you know, women generally report more stress than men. So I don't know. They do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not vouch for that probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a big one for sure. Also just our, you know, anatomy and physiology. So basically we have these reproductive organs that just take up more space. Our colon is actually, it's longer and it's got less space to fit in. So there's structural reasons for that as well. Mm. So really there are a lot of, a lot of different reasons. It's the stress, it's, you know, that are actually, you know, our anatomy and physiology that can make it just a, a bit more challenging to to digest food. Mm. I keep saying to my partner, like women have it a lot harder than men. We have periods, we have menopause, and now you're telling me more <laughs> <laughs> <What> the health. <laughs> of course, there's the you know hormonal component mm. as well. 
like, mm. you know, around um, women's cycles, not for everyone, but for most people as well. Like, you know, the few days leading up to, you know, the start of their period, often mm. a lot of people will have, um, you know, changes in bowel movements, more bloating, you know, more gas, those kind of things as well. So that can definitely be a factor too. You mentioned before about SIBO. Could you um, share with our listeners what exactly SIBO is? SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm. And it's basically kind of what it sounds like. So it's bacterial (laughs) overgrowth in the small intestine. But the small intestine is supposed to be pretty sterile. There's not supposed to be a lot of bacteria in there as compared to, say, the large intestine, for example, which is, is meant to have, you know, plenty of bacteria in there. So when bacteria ends up in the small intestine, basically it can ferment carbohydrates and then we end up with, you know, more bloating, more gas. You know, some people will have constipation, some people will have diarrhea. Um, So it's a lot of these digestive symptoms for most people. Uh, And then there's also, you know, potentially non-specific symptoms or symptoms that aren't related to the digestive system, um, like, you know, low energy, brain fog, uh, and these different Mm. things. So it's really this, you know, bacteria, which, um, can develop from lots of different things. So it can develop from stress. It can develop from just grazing all day long and not having a break in between meals and snacks, because we've got this, natural housekeeping function called the migrating motor complex that's meant to just give the gut a big sweep out but a lot of us are sitting at our desks we're grazing all day long so our gut's not getting that sweep out which can you know be one of the factors that you know drives this SIBO developing in the first place um so yeah it's it's very common there are varying reports of its prevalence, but some studies show that up to 80% of people with IBS, so generally people with with chronic digestive symptoms, may actually have SIBO going on. So definitely something to look at, again, if you've tried all the basics and Mm. you're just not seeing those shifts that you'd like to see. So how does this all play into the fertility? Like we've obviously been speaking about hormone health, all of that kind of stuff. So you know, if you are looking to get pregnant, start that fertility journey, what do you need to start doing to look after your gut health? The sooner you can think about that, the better. And if you haven't, if you're, you know, if you're already pregnant or, you know, you're planning on getting pregnant ASAP and you haven't had the time to think about it, that's okay. You know, don't beat yourself up. But the more time you can take to prepare the better. And we know, you know, the, the mother's microbiome has a massive impact on, you know, the health outcomes of her baby. So that's, that's really important to look at. But in terms of fertility in general, all of these pieces, you know, as I've sort of shared, everything is very much interconnected. So Mm. stress plays a huge role, you know, stress can be, impacting the hormonal balance and that hormonal balance is really important in terms of you know fertility and pregnancy outcomes um you know that stress can drive inflammation the stress can impact the digestive function 
And then they all, you know, as I've mentioned, they all sort of impact each other again. So again, that gut health can impact the hormonal balance and all of these sort of pieces are very interconnected. So it's really looking at yourself as an individual Mm. and what are these main factors for you that you may need to look at. So I think there can be a lot, and, you know, we've spoken about lots of different things like the SIBO, for example, but I Mm. think starting with these foundational pieces is going to have the biggest impact, you know, on fertility. So, you know, supporting your gut health um, through, you know, looking at stress, that mindful eating, you know, that's going to be beneficial. Looking at the variety of, of plant foods that you're eating and aiming for that, you know, 30 plant foods, you know, each week. Focusing on having, you know, 25 grams of, of protein at a minimum for breakfast, lunch and dinner every day. Um, you know, steering clear of things that are potentially inflammatory or at least just being mindful of them, like mm. excess sugar, you know, um, excess alcohol intake. We're on board. Um, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's you know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing all the time. Mm. I think, you know, finding a good balance for yourself mm. that is sustainable and doable because, you know, being on or off the wagon doesn't really, you know, help any anyone. So, mm. yeah, all of these pieces can have a, a huge impact on, you know, fertility and, and pregnancy outcomes. And there are lots of different rabbit holes in terms of looking at specific nutrients and making sure you've got um, the, the, the correct supplementation for you. Um, and then also if you do have more chronic health issues going on, um, for example, SIBO or other mm. gut infections or specific hormonal imbalances, you know, we spoke about estrogen and the impacts of excess estrogen. If you have the time to get on top of those things, I would highly recommend taking that six to 12 months to do that first, mm. um, to just make your life easier down the line so that you're, you know, setting yourself up for the best um, chance possible. And then also just setting yourself up for the best, um, you know, experience through postpartum and beyond, because, you know, you need those nutrient stores. You want to be in the best place possible to, you know, raise, raise your kids, raise raise a healthy baby and just feel your best, you know, during that time. So when you are pregnant, your baby feeds off the nutrients in your body. Do you have to be mindful of what food you're intaking and also your gut health at this time? Yes, it definitely can. Um, So I I think with that, again, it's just doing the best that you can because it is obviously tricky. For example, I know during trimester one, there are a lot of people who were eating really well leading up to Mm. falling pregnant, for example, and then all they can eat is beige food and they have extreme nausea and feel terrible all the time. (laughs) So if that's the case, you've just got to do what you can do, you know, or even people with hyperemesis who are, you know, unwell throughout their entire pregnancy. So if that's Mm. you, again, you've just got to do what you can and make sure you're getting help to, you know, at least be addressing any nutritional needs and and those kind of things. Um, But outside of that, if you're feeling good, then yeah, absolutely. Everything that you do in terms of um, 
you know, getting that good variety of plant foods to support your gut microbiome, um, managing your stress levels, um, avoiding excess excess exposure to things like, you know, lots of um, plastics and, you know, BPA and those kind of things. Um, All of these things make a real difference. And again, it's not putting too much pressure on yourself if for some reason you're just not able to do that, which is the case for plenty of women. But if you can, um, the better that you can take care of yourself, you know, the better Mm -hmm. those outcomes are going to be. Clara, did you eat only beige food? No, Mm -hmm. I was really lucky. I actually didn't really have morning sickness at all. So that's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't know why I have a small theory because it was around the time it was still kind of COVID times. Um, and a lot of, and I was working from home. So I feel it wasn't quite COVID, but I was working from home and I feel like I was able to rest even while at work. So I didn't have to do that 45 minute commute into the office. I didn't have to do a lot of that kind of just rushing around and doing stuff. I was able to kind of take time. And when I mentioned this to, um, one of my ultrasound uh, specialist who obviously when she was doing a checkup, she said a lot of women are reporting that they no longer, they didn't have morning sickness. She said a lot more reporting they don't have morning sickness now than they used to. Um, and I do feel like it was being able to be pregnant without, you know, yes, there were stresses, but it wasn't that just the everyday stress that you get with having to go into the office. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's true, but it's just, it's an antidote that I just, I, I noticed. Is there stuff that you can be introducing into your baby's diet to help them? Oh yeah, definitely. And I think obviously, you know, what you do during your pregnancy and before that can have a huge Mm. impact, but at the same time, our microbiomes and, you know, kids microbiomes are just changing and evolving all the time and they're very malleable. So there are plenty of things that you can do. Um, Obviously, again, it's, it's difficult in terms of what your baby will actually eat and <laughs> and all of those kind of things. So yeah, yep. it's definitely and that changes day to day. Yep. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. I mean, I guess for starters, of course, there are specific things like you know probiotics and and those mm. kind of things. You know, definitely want to get good advice and make sure that that is you know appropriate for your kids' needs. Um, but that's you know one thing that can be helpful. And really, you know, we know that the diversity of these things is important and it's that diversity that is very beneficial for the gut microbiome and of course there are specific things like um you know probiotic foods for example Mm. good quality yogurt that's actually got you know probiotics in it and there's lots of different you know um probiotic foods fermented foods depending on you know age and that kind of thing that are going to be great for Mm. the microbiome but i think diversity is that first piece and it might be hiding things, you know, in (laughs) in different foods that can be helpful. But then, you know, obviously beyond that, we know there's those specific foods that Mm. have specific, you know, benefits for that gut microbiome. But like I said, you know, the gut is so malleable. So if you Mm. didn't have that time to prepare, it's okay. There's still so much that you can do, you know, right now and mm. you know for many years to come to keep improving the health of your your child's gut microbiome i'm forever hiding liver 
<laughs> my child's food because I know how much iron they need. <laughs> so I've got oh, like liver beef stock. I'm constantly hiding that. And then I add Greek yogurt, a really like a nice little dollop of Greek yogurt to a lot of things to just kind of, as you said, to try to see if I can get some of those really good um, probiotic foods throughout it. But you just, yeah, you, as a mum, you're just constantly trying to work out what you can, you know, what you can do and mm. how you can help. Yeah. And finally, Fran, what's one piece of advice you would give to your listeners about gut health? You know, as I've sort of mentioned or alluded to, it is really the foundational pieces to start with because I know when people mm. hear things like, oh, estrogen dominance, SIBO, I'm going to run out and do all the things. And yes, that may be <laughs> what's going on for you. And that may be what you need to look into. But I think the foundational pieces of the diversity of those plant foods, that Mm. protein intake, healthy fats, stress, sleep, hydration, all those pieces, you know, start there. And if you need to investigate further, do that. That's great. But regardless, those foundational, you know, pieces are going to have a huge impact and they're just so important and they, they can really, really help. So definitely don't overlook those. Fran, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It has been such a pleasure to discuss hormones and gut health with you. And I'm going to take this opportunity to announce that Fran will be joining our team of experts in our new gut rebalance program. I'll put links to this program in the show notes below, as well as links to Fran's Instagram, website, and Facebook. Like this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.